All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Welcome to Primitive Screwheads Talk About Horror Movies. And Andrew, I just have one question for you. Yeah? Who can take a sunrise and sprinkle it with dew? Who can cover it in chocolate and a miracle or two? Holy sh- that that's what the lyric was? I always thought it was sunshine. No, who can take a sunrise and sprinkle it with dew? Okay, um, <laughs> I'm going to go on a soapbox for this one right here. Uh, Grandpa Joe is the worst person ever ever to exist like it probably goes osama bin laden hitler and then grandpa joe grandpa joe's in third one um grandpa joe you know for the longest time he made his family take care of him he just sat in bed the whole time but the second he gets an opportunity to get a golden ticket he's just like oh hey i'm gonna jump up and i'm gonna be the absolute you know paragon of human health and i can absolutely walk i can float i can do all of this stuff but no i'm just gonna make my family take care of me for about 30 years or something like that Grandpa Joe's the worst. Do you think his wife knew? Hate... She was in bed next to him the whole time. I know. Yeah, his wife had probably had some words to say to him after that. But it, maybe it's I like, mean... what's, what's that show, The Act? The Act, where, like, you know, like that girl who pretended to be enfeebled mm. and her mother, like, tortured her and shit? Mm. No, I didn't see that one. So, uh, oh, no. But Grandpa Joe's worse, okay? Okay. Anyway, uh, so obviously we're going to be talking about Candyman today. The 1992 film uh, by... Clive Barker, um, and it was directed by Bernard Rose. Clive Barker was the one who wrote the original short story, which was actually based in the London Projects, but they decided to update it to Gabrini Green in Chicago. So I picked this movie because I am from Chicago, and my dad is or was a Chicago police officer for the longest time, and I remember he would actually, you know, talk to me about little things here in the city, um, and we were actually able to pass Gabrini Green several times over the course of my childhood and teenage years and a little bit of my adulthood before it was eventually torn down. So, Andrew, before we get into the background information, let's give just kind of first impressions. What do you think about this movie, Candyman? I love it. I, like, I I really, like, I saw it a long, I think I saw it back in, like, maybe high school, back when I was just kind of like, watching horror movies, like, anyone I can get my hands on. Mm. And, like, you know, I liked it back then, and I didn't really think about it as I watched it. Um, but watching mm. it again, and just kind of, you know, trying to, tear apart a little bit and think about what's going on in the story like it was awesome i was really impressed how about you yeah um i really liked it too it was definitely very much a slow burn and it has a lot more social commentary than i'm used to in my horror movies but it was all it was all social commentary that i was exposed to as a kid growing up in you know chicago um you know obviously i haven't had any of the same experiences. I never grew up in the projects or anything like that, but it is something that I was familiar with. It was something that I tried to learn a little bit more about. I remember I did go through a couple of Wikipedia binges back in my college years about what computing game was and how it all worked and how it all set up um, from that. So, yep. So, yeah. So let's go into Candyman. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit of a background information. So this is a 1992 film, um, and it was based on Clive Barker's short The Forbidden. But they did update it to and move it from London to the um, projects of Gabrini Green in Chicago. And just a little background information on that. 
So in the 1940s, after World War II, there was a series of slums um, in the near north side of section of Chicago. Now, if you're not familiar with Chicago, the south side is where all the gang violence is, for the most part, aside from what we call the People's Republic of Hyde Park, which is the pretty much only affluent neighborhood in the south side. Um, Chicago is very segregated and very separated in that way, where most of the money, most of the... Um, lower crime areas are up either in the loop or in the north side the further north you go generally the cleaner an area it is and especially if you get closer to the lake as well south side that's when things get to get a little bit antsy anything south of chinatown basically depending on you know how fearful you are of the crime rates um Whenever people talk about the crime rate in Chicago and how, you know, oh, it's the per capita murderer of the world, most of it is fairly centralized between gangs and the south side. If you are in several different neighborhoods up in the north, you're generally pretty safe um, and the crime rate for that area is pretty low. But this Gabrini Green was very infamous. Um, it was a project that was started. It was built up in a couple slums outside of Chicago, outside uh, or in Chicago, really, really close to the Gold Coast area. Gold Coast is probably one of the most affluent areas in there, and Cabrini Green popped on up about a few blocks away. When it first came up, it was actually a pretty big deal, and people were very excited about it because it had a lot of features that a lot of public housing did not have at the time. Um, they had their own you know, kitchen units. They had their own individual bathrooms, and it was very, very close to a lot of neighborhoods with a lot of jobs. Um, but people started getting very, very antsy about it. And, of course, Chicago PD being as corrupt as they are and the whole city being as corrupt as it is kind of let it fall by to the wayside. So after a few years, and I think the crime was its absolute worst in the early 90s, which is when this movie came out, um, eventually it just kind of fell onto the wayside. And police, whenever they had to arrest someone in the building, they would actually have to, like, form a full SWAT team, and they have to do complete raids on these buildings. Now, the Cabrini Green complex is not just the specific buildings. Um, there are also several individual homes that were included as part of the public housing as well um, in that area, but it made a lot of people antsy, and it was very, very infamous because it was so close in proximity to a lot of other places as well um, that are more affluent areas. Most of the people who lived in Cabrini Green were either single mothers or children. I think something like two-thirds of residents in Cabrini Green were children at the time. And things just got worse and worse and worse. Um, one of the biggest things that happened, Jane Byrne, one of the Chicago mayors, actually moved into the complex. Not one of the big buildings, but one of the buildings on the outside. Um, one of the homes on the outside. And she was just like, I'm so fed up of this all this crime rate going on in Cabrini Green so we're gonna have all my bodyguards come on in and basically we're gonna clean it up and I'm gonna be right here right next to it exposing and seeing everything she lasted about three weeks <laughs> before she moved on out um so a lot of her detractors said it was a big publicity stunt and she really didn't do anything and then I also remember hearing too that a lot of the arrests she made she had absolutely zero distinction between you know actual murderers or gang members and people just selling pot um so she was a little bit of a scorched earth approach on that one and some people did not sit right with that so what happens after that is Cabrini green um it just kind of fell into disarray for a while for the longest time they started 
1999, they announced that they were going to eventually demolish it, and they were going to move the people elsewhere. People slowly starting to move it around. Um, and the last building closed in 2010. There were a few holdouts for the longest time. People just refused to leave, and they actually had to be forced from these homes and put elsewhere. And then the last high-rise building was demolished in 2011. Um, and there was a big public arts commemorating the project. And there are several different abandoned homes, like the one Jane Byrne lived in, um, that just no one has moved into. And they are a little bit of a hotbed for crime in the area and activity in the area. But it's, you know, they just kind of went scorched earth with it and they completely removed it. But for the longest time, Gabrini Green was regarded as a Chicago institution, it was very infamous in the community, and a lot of people avoided it. A lot of people moved away from it. A lot of people were very nervous about it. And when they did make the plan to announce it and, you know, move all these people elsewhere in the city, um, a lot of the more affluent people on the Gold Coast took a look at it, um, and they were very happy about that. And, you know, we're not going to get into the state of public housing and how corrupt Chicago is, but it's it's a big part of Chicago history, and that's just something I wanted to get into. And the reason why I chose this movie was because this movie, Candyman, is set in the Cabrini-Green complex. And it has a lot of themes of fear of lower income and public housing and just how crazy it is compared to the other areas of the city. Um, and that's kind of how we're going to jump into it, I guess. So let's start the summary, I guess. Right. Is there anything else you want to add? Uh, no. Well, actually, did you know that Good Times also took place in the Green and Green? The Green and Green? Yes, that's true. And it's very interesting because I took a look at who made Good Times and then who made Candyman and, you know, what type of directors made both. And, you know, surprise, surprise, um, it was... I mean, they're two very different properties. They're two very, very different projects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Good Times was trying to be a sitcom, and it was also made a little bit earlier than Candyman. Candyman was set, you know, and was made during the height of crime in Cabrini Green. Yeah. But yeah, it paints two very, very different portraits and two very, very different pictures of Candyman. So, or this um, Cabrini Green projects. Well, and. Yeah, also, like, I think the people behind it are different, too, right? Because, like, I'm pretty sure isn't yeah. Candyman's, like, a white director and writer, and I believe Good Times yep. produced by African-American uh, directors yep. and writers, so. Yep. That's interesting. Yep. Yeah, Bernard Rose, um, he's actually English. He was the director of Candyman, mm-hmm. um, and he's the one that did that. And um, I do remember seeing somewhere a long time ago, um, because this film has a black antagonist, and... This was, you know, he wanted, uh, Bernard Rose apparently really, really wanted to be very sensitive about it. And he actually contacted the NAACP and said, hey, listen up. Uh, so is it okay if we have a black antagonist? And apparently they went right back at him and said, uh, it would be racist to say you can't have a black antagonist. Why are we having this conversation? This mm-hmm. is ridiculous. So, And also, yeah. for anybody who's interested in kind of the, the history and all that stuff, like, there's a really good video on YouTube called, like, Candyman Breaking All the Rules of Horror, which touches on a lot of this. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody's interested in kind of that background and some of the information regarding that, it's it's really informative. It's nice. Cool. Yeah. So, great. So that was that. Um, in terms of this movie, it's got it's not directed by Clive Barker, but it has a very Clive Barker feel to it. Yeah. It's very slower paced. Um, the body count is actually very low in this movie, and I was a little bit surprised about that. Um because how many people actually 
Do we count the opening? People. Yes. Count that? Okay. Four people at this point die, and most of them are off camera, so. Do we count the dog? Five people die, and most of them are off camera. Um, yeah, that was that, was that too. So, uh, yeah, no, the opening girl, mm-hmm. um, the opening scene, the um, friends in the apartments, mm-hmm. the dog, the psychiatrist, and then our protagonist at the very end of the film. When the husband. Hmm? Oh, the Oh, the husband, yeah, so it's six. Okay, never mind. We don't have a low body count on this Wait, one. Oh, is that, actually, is that five? Hmm? I think how many people that is. If we're counting the dog, too. Oh, okay. Which I definitely am. Because that dog is... Ugh. Yeah. I always hate seeing animals get killed in movies, so that's where I couldn't enjoy zombievers. Wait, so... Opening kill? Yes. Friend? Yes. Psychiatrist? Yes. Husband? Yes. Her... Yes, and dog. dog. Okay, I don't, I don't really, mm-hmm. do you count her as a, as a kill like, necessarily? I mean, she dies. She passes as opposed to as murdered. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Anyway, tomato, tomato. She's murdered. She's killed. Whatever. Okay, so let's go into our main character. Mm-hmm. Our main character in this movie is Helen Lyle, who's played by Virginia Madsen, and she is a woman working for, uh, she's working on her graduate degree at uh, U of I, uh, University of Illinois in Chicago, and she is focusing her um, studies on urban legends and urban studies, and basically what she wants to do is she wants to go to some of these areas in Chicago and figure out how urban legends affect the culture of these lower income, these public housing projects, and how people deal with it in the day-to-day life. And I really, really like this one scene when her and her friend are driving to Cabrini Green, and she kind of puts forward the thesis that says... A lot of these people, um, they're really just, their day-to-day life sucks. They're, they're scared for their lives all the time. Um, there's a lot of gang violence going around. And one of the ways they cope with it is to actually create these urban legends to basically say, well, this is some supernatural force that's affecting our lives, and that's how it works. Um, I, I don't really like that. Okay, I, I feel like, go into it. I feel like that's like a very, like, outsider's perspective on somebody, oh, on somebody's life like i don't know and that's like, why i do like it oh, okay. for the character yeah let me specify <laughs> i don't like it as an actual you know well that's how they deal with it but i do like it for helen lyle's character because that tells us a lot about her and how you know kind of privileged they are because u of i is decent school in chicago um it's over on the west side and things are a little bit more affluent there. But it, once again, it's her outsider's perspective looking at it. And, and I feel like that's a big theme that of sense? this movie. I feel like it's her outsider's perspective. I feel like it's mm-hmm. I feel like it's constantly shown in the movie how much yeah. she doesn't belong. <laughs> yeah, and she's not a bad person. I think generally deep down she does want to help out the people and understand them better. Um, but it's just she's way, way, way out of her elements. Like, yeah, it's like, she, yeah. Uh-huh. It's like she, she has the best of intentions. But she also isn't really thinking. She has the best intentions from her perspective, but isn't considering their mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. Like, and actually, I'm glad you brought that line about the inventing things to explain things. Because mm-hmm. I kind of love that. Because, like, part of me, like, my initial, my initial thought was that was, like, isn't that what, like, all religions are? Like, I was like, <laughs> I was just like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Like, people, you know, when Christianity shit was invented, like, people were having shit lives. Like, people were dying. There was disease. There was all this stuff. Let's invent a, let's come up with a reason for, like, hey, at least when we're, when we're dead, life's great. Like, you know, like, at least mm-hmm. if we live good lives now, we can be good in the future. Like, 
all that's all I could think of was just like you fucking hypocrite. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like, I feel like yeah, I guess that could be true, but like, geez, like way, way to just like trivialize their experience by saying that well they come up with this thing and thus it doesn't matter. Like, mm-hmm. like what a bag of dicks. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, you know, that kind of plays into stereotypes, too, about, you know, the stereotype that African-Americans are superstitious or whatever it is, and she's kind of perpetuating that. Yeah. yeah that's another kind of knock against her. Um, but, I mean, like, you know, this movie, she uh, decides to go with her friend. Both of them are young women, and they decide to go into the Cabrini Green Project, and, you know, that was just kind of, like, it's a dumb thing to do. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. It's... It really, really is. That is not a place for her to be. That is not a safe place for her to be. And she's just like, oh, it'll be fine. It's fine. Like, does she take anything with her? Does she have, like, pepper spray uh, her, or something? Her friend does. Her friend has um, pepper spray. Uh-huh. And, well, that, and that's yeah. part of the thing, too, is, like, actually, um, there's, like, you know, her, um, like, so race and colors, I think, is important. And skin color is a very important thing mm-hmm. in the story. Um, and yeah. her friend Bernadette, um, who's also doing the project with her, you notice um, of the cast of African-Americans we meet, she's the lightest mm-hmm. skinned. And mm-hmm. she is the one who's, you know, then also within the white society. She's the one within the classroom who's the one who partners around with her a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I wonder if that was intentional, if the, higher, if the casting of her as a slightly lighter-skinned African-American was intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If, the, if, well, if were, the kind of the goal was to show that, like, I don't know, even, what is her main character's name again? Helen's kind of... Helen Lyle. Yeah, yeah. even, like, mm-hmm. her kind of, I don't know, like, if people use, use that term, like, her her pass card or her, you know, I have a friend. Um, you know, oh, I'm not racist. I have a black friend, that sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I kind of wonder if that was, like, intentional for that kind of, for her character. Uh-huh. Because the, the other, even in the in the school, uh, when she um, when she first learns about Candyman, she asks people about it. And who does she ask but the very dark-skinned African-American helpers, like people who are, mm-hmm. help, essentially, who are the custodians in this uh, case. Yeah. Um, and it's mm-hmm. very interesting the way that, that kind of plays out. Um but yeah. even, even Bernadette calls her out. She's like, um, when she, when they kind of first pull up to the, um, to the, to the project, she's like, you know, first, uh, Helen tells her to dress conservatively because she's like, you mm-hmm. know, people are going to shit on me. Um, mm-hmm. um, but Bernadette brings pepper spray and a taser with her. And when Henrietta, mm-hmm. and when, uh, Henrietta calls her out on it, Bernadette's like, you don't understand like what's going on here. Like you're just like coming in and like. Like, yeah, it seems a little extreme, but also, like, you don't understand anything about where we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's great. Fine. Yeah, definitely. So, anyway, let's keep moving on that. Um, so, Helen is, you know, researching her thesis, and she decides to go to Cabrini Green to actually, you know, get a hands-on opinion of that. Um, Cabrini Green, there have been several different murders in the area. Um, well... Let's go back. Yeah, say, I don't know what um, man is. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. So she hears about this legend called the Candyman. And the Candyman is basically this guy who, if you say his name five times in a mirror, he will appear behind you. He's got a hook for a hand. And then he will, what is it, gut you from groin to gullet or something like yep, that? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yep. Yeah, so that's that. Um, there is a little opening scene where a babysitter, it's, you know, the typical babysitter scene where the babysitter, you know, has a guy come on over and then they start making it's out. Ted Raimi. She's just like, oh, huh? Ted Raimi. Really? Yeah, that was him. Ted Raimi. Cool. He's got a lot of uh-huh. weird side projects, like like a lot of weird appearances like that in those in that time. This is why I love you, Andrew, because you are able to pick up on the weird, like obscure stuff, um, you know, cameos that I don't get at all. And I was just like, oh, that's right, that was that one guy that was in the one other movie, but I really loved him in that one. That's great. Great, great, great. 
So anyway, yeah, we do have the opening kill where basically the babysitter says the name five times into the mirror. Um, I don't know about you, Hmm? but when I'm making out with a girl, generally I don't say, oh, want to hear a real scary story at the moment? That doesn't really get me. She's the one who told him. She brought him over and she's like, this is our foreplay. Like, yeah, we, we, we get a little talk where she's like. Uh, whatever her name was, like, dating this guy, but she really was into this guy, so he had, she had him come over, and she was going like to give him what she never gave the other guy. And she's just like, ugh, yeah. Also, okay, so, fun, so, right. so like, we learn the thing, they, they say it five times in the mirror, mm-hmm. but actually, yeah. so she tries to get her boyfriend to say it five times in the mirror, as their foreplay. He says it four times, and then she's like, yeah, fucking go downstairs, and, you know, I'll get ready, and so he's down there drinking a beer, and she says it the fifth time. And the rule is if you say it five times, he appears. But does it have, is it like Bloody Mary? Like, do you have to be the person who says it five times? Because he says it four times, she says it one time. In different contexts. But I Like, what are the rules? Got the, yeah, I got the impression that Candyman doesn't really have any rules. Yeah. Like, the only thing that really drives him is the superstition. Mm-hmm. The urban legend that he is a, a paranormal killer. Um... But I never really got the impression that he abides by it. He can pop up anywhere at any time, can kill anyone, and he wants to perpetuate the myth. But if someone says it, and then, you know, someone's talking about it, he can come on in. Or yeah, that's kind of a choice he makes to yeah. to do it. Just to, That's the impression just I got. You know, I, I agree, but I'm just saying this girl who's telling this story was doing a shitty job. Yeah. She, <laughs> she also says that he kills her unborn baby, but the story starts with her saying that she's going to give him something she's never given anybody before. So mm-hmm. either she had immaculate conception going on, and that was Jesus in there, or mm-hmm. this girl's bad at telling stories. Yeah, I don't know which one it is. It could be either, but I had problems mm-hmm. with her story. It was it was factually, you know, it was, there were inconsistencies within it. Yeah, and that maybe, and maybe I'm just looking too much into this, but maybe that could be the style of urban legends. You know, it's it's a telephone game. People repeat the same urban legend over and over and over again, and then things get changed, things get moved around. Um, oh yeah, well, no, totally. And that, I, I completely agree. And but speaking of and which, that plays into the he doesn't really abide by his own rules in this movie. And I once again I get the impression that the Candyman doesn't really need to have anyone say his name five times in a mirror, but when someone does, he pops it up just to mess with them because that's what motivates him. That's what keeps him going. Jam. The fear of him. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah. Um so that was our first kill right there. Then we are to just ahead of a mile. We talked about, you know, how she's a graduate student at U of I. Um husband is a, and, is a teacher there? Professor? Yep, husband's a teacher there. Um and we definitely get the impression that the two of them are not well, she's just, at this point suspecting that he's been cheating on her. Mm-hmm. Um things are a little bit strained at this point. And what did you think of the age difference between the two? Okay. He seemed like old. Yeah, he was definitely <laughs> old. Like it was uh-huh. It was weird. Uh, yeah, he was definitely older than her. Yeah. But, like, I guess, if you think about it, she could have been one of his former students who he had an affair with and things went too far. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe that's just kind of the person he is. Maybe, like, she's supposed to, you know, maybe it's one of those things where it's kind of, like, history repeating itself, and that's why she's kind of skeptical, because she's like, that's what I was, and that's how yeah. we became together, so. Don't. Yeah. If you cheat with them, they'll cheat on you. Yeah, that sort exactly. Of thing. If, you have an, if you have an affair with one student, why wouldn't you have one with another? Yep. So, yeah, um, Helen is staying late one night, and she's just kind of um, hearing a few recorded conversations about the Candyman when a cleaning lady comes on in and overhears the story, and she says, oh, the Candyman, I know the Candyman. And she calls in another cleaning woman who knows a little bit more about the Candyman. (laughs) 
Did I just say Candyman five times? Oh, shit. Uh, I, by the way, <gasps> if you're looking in a mirror. That's but right. if we're looking at, if we're taking the black mirror context, our screens are mirrors. So. Oh, my God. Look at that. I actually do have, my, my PC case is reflective. So um, if I just, you know, jump on off, you know who got me. So avenge my death, please. Yeah, well, you know, in the second movie, um, a guy says it into a metallic-y reflective book cover. So, you know, there's ah. there's there's some leeway with this. Okay. Um, but also, I, I do love that scene uh, where the other Klingley gets called in, because she's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, my friend knows all about it. And Helen's like, oh, can I, can I meet your friend sometime? And she's like, yeah. And just like, walks outside, he's like, yo, get over here. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same as you too. Like, why not just merge the two characters together? What does a second character being added to this matter at well, all? Well, I, I, think, I, think, I think, again, it's showing that idea that, of, like, bringing green in these, like, it's the close community and, like, the fact that, like, uh-huh. these people, like, like, like the, 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 separation of society in the sense that like you know her friend could be anything her friend could be like an, a, a, could have a different drug a different profession but it's like nope she's working the exact same place because in this okay. movie we're perpetuating this idea that there's a class distinction and we're gonna shove it in your face that, that this an opportunity is very very limited for these people exactly yeah mm-hmm. yeah I can get that um yeah, so basically she hears all about the murders that have taken place in Cabrini Green, um, and the people have said, well, all of these murders that have been happening, we're attributing them to the uh, mythical entity known as the Candyman, uh, because all of them have been butchered with a hook. So Helen researches it a little bit more. She finds out the names of the victims, and then she goes ahead and decides to take her friend Bernie to head on over to the actual projects to find out where the murders took place and take a few pictures and just kind of get a hands-on experience of that. And I'm not missing anything in there, right? No. No. Okay. Good. So they decide to head on over to Gabrini Green, and this is where Helen and Bernadette have that conversation about... And basically Helen theorizes and says, listen, I think what's happening here is these are just typical murders, and these people are attributing the urban legend as a way of dealing with it um rather than facing the fact that they live in a very very dangerous environment um so they decide to head on up they are harassed a little bit in the lobby um by some just people hanging up outside they decide to take the stairs all the way up and they come across a do they meet the woman before or after they take the pictures um so they're taking pictures that they kind of go through and as they're taking Mm -hmm. pictures um, of this graffiti on the walls, this one, this door opens, and this woman's kind of just standing there. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, sorry. And, like, she has a dog there, and she, like, asks them, like, what are you doing here? Which also is yeah. a scene I love, because, again, it's showing this kind of tourist-like uh, way that Helen's approaching it. She's just walking around taking pictures of people's homes, and this woman opens the door and yep. is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you're yeah. in my house, you're, like, yeah. you're in our home taking pictures as if, like, this is, like, some display for you. Like, I, I really like that, that scene. Um... Because, like, literally as she's doing it, I was thinking, like, oh, this is disrespectful as shit. And then, like, she did that. Yes! Like, Mm. thank God. Um, Yeah. Um, And then the other thing, too, is, you know, the, um, what's her name? Uh, The, Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie is, basically says something like, you know, white folks don't come around here too often. Or if they do, it's never anything any good. It's usually to buy drugs or to scope the place out before a police raid. Um so, you know, that's another thing, the distrustful nature, because that's what happens during that time. No one, you know, came around unless they lived there um, for that. So she has a very right to be distrustful of them that was going on there. So, um... Yeah, so, so they they, um, they go and they end up actually going to the apartment 
Um, mm-hmm. Well, actually, the next door apartment um, to where the murder took place. Um, and mm-hmm. we kind of find out earlier that Helen's house is actually um, has the same design, has the same structure as Cabrini Green. Um, mm-hmm. So she kind of deduces that um, the idea of Candyman coming through a mirror to kill somebody actually is because um, these apartments were built kind of cheaply. And in the bathroom... Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing kind of separating the two rooms is the medicine cabinet, which is kind of shoved into the wall. And if you push the medicine cabinet out of the way, there's basically a window between these two apartments. Yeah. Um, so they go and start taking pictures of the apartment where the murder took place. And Helen actually starts or explores uh, the cabinet and pushing it out of the way and going into uh, the mm-hmm. other apartment where theoretically the killer would have climbed out of to yes. kill the person who died. And just a little bit of background information on this, too. Uh, this actually happened. The person was not murdered, but there was an attempted murder. Um, her name was Ruthie McCoy, um, and it wasn't in Cabrini Green. It was another project called Abbott Homes um, in Chicago. But, yeah, there was someone who came on through the medicine cabinet from another apartment, just replaced it, came on into her apartment, and there was, you know, the lady called 911 and um, just moved on there. So that was on the south side, though, not in Cabrini Did Green. that happen before but, this uh, film? Okay, yes, I make sure. and they're actually inspired by that. So, okay, I'm probably wondering, like, did, yep. they, did this movie inspire or something? <laughs> but okay, yeah, no, 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 no. The movie was inspired by this. That's so. cool. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, I believe she was murdered. Oh, that's unfortunate. Really, that really, yeah, that really ends up. Let me see. Uh, yeah, but continue. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. So, they, mm-hmm. so they're in there, um, and Helen ends up climbing through the window, um, or through, mm-hmm. well, through the window-like space behind the uh, medicine cabinet, and um, she kind of finds like. She has a lot of paintings that have been done, um, mm-hmm. one of which being like a giant one of Tony Todd's face. Um, and she yep, also, which was so, so creepy. I love that shot where she's just climbing through his mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she also ends up finding um, kind of hints that somebody had been kind of squatting there. She finds like uh, some cloth and some candy that has razor blades inside of it, mm-hmm. which is yeah. interesting because, I, again, I kind of wonder, like, is that just a squatter's deal or is that because like we're, we're led to believe that Candyman does go there so was he was he doing that mm-hmm. just putting the razor blades yeah, in there fun. um okay so going back to the urban legends then there have as far as i'm aware never been any instance of someone putting razor blades in candy um for halloween and giving that to kids um i know that's a whole big urban legend of someone doing that so the way i took it as this is once again Candyman. he thrives on urban legends he thrives on people fearing him based on word of mouth that's another way of exemplifying another urban legend well, i like that um mm-hmm. well and that that urban legend came from um what do you call it from uh from the advil scare right from from the advil poisoning when the or Tylenol, Tylenol, sorry, the Tylenol, the Tylenol murders, right? Oh, yeah, and that's the reason why we have seals on medicine. Yeah, and I, I think that's where all that came from, right, mm-hmm. was that people were like, like, once the Tylenol murders happened, like, some guy tried to, like, poison milk and stuff, and they were like, shit, so they're yeah. like, we, our kids could get poisoned from this, like, um, so I think mm-hmm. that's where all that came out of, um, and yeah. I, actually, I believe, I feel like there's never any execution, but I, I thought I heard that, like, somebody had, like, tried doing it, or they found some evidence of it at some point, but maybe that's part of your religion that I'm just hearing mm-hmm. my head yeah as far as i know because i remember i looked that up a couple of years ago when there's not there's never been as far as i know anybody putting razor blades in candy or razor blades in apples or whatever it is and passing it out on halloween but it, it, definitely that myth has perpetuated for a long and, time i'm thinking of that myth actually really quick uh have you seen the movie night of the demons i have okay, not, we no. should do that sometime that that, that comes in that okay. movie. it's hilarious okay cool cool 
Yeah. Um, yeah. All so right. they come. So after you know Helen gets in there, um, takes some pictures, uh, runs out of film, wants more film, and she comes back. Bernadette's like, "Fuck no! Like, get out of here!" <laughs> um, and yeah, Bernadette is not having any of it. She's having her nervous cigarette as she's sitting in this dirty bathtub, just waiting for her to come back. And yeah. Bernadette's like the smart person in the movie, basically. Yeah. Um, and so they leave, or they they start to leave, and then Anne Marie comes. Right, that's mm-hmm. when she pops in. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and basically, it's like, what the fuck are you guys doing here? And they end up kind of following her back to her apartment, where she yeah. where she informs them that yeah, she lived next door to the people who died, and she mm-hmm. does believe in Candyman. Yeah. Um, and that's where kind of she talks about how the white people cause some problems and stuff, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, and again, and this is kind of where again, Emery, we kind of get that idea of, uh, and like, I think. Helen's character is supposed to be a likable person and have the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, She's just in way, way over her head and interacting with, you know, societal parts that she doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. Well, but, but she also is, is a victim, or not a victim, she's also a perpetuator of these myths and these prejudices against the people that she's trying to study. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, I don't think she has that kind of, like, you know, terrible view of, like, you know, black crime is and poverty is a problem and spreading everywhere but i think she more mm-hmm. has she wants to help and she wants to be a positive force but she also comes with the prejudices with her and i think uh, Anne marie kind of calls her out and is like what are you going to study about us like you want to study that like you know that we steal that we're bad that we gangbang that we're all on drugs mm-hmm. like and she's kind of like like that that's what you like think about us and she just kind of yeah. calls out what what she's coming in with which again kind of comes back to that her view of what the candy man is and uh, the idea that she's just kind of judging these people before even getting to know them or having any idea of who mm-hmm. they are. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So that's what comes up next with that. Um, so we meet Anthony, who is Anne Marie's baby boy, and we learn that she's a single mother trying to raise this kid, um, you know, in this project and trying to do a good life for her son. And I really like that because kids were a huge part of Cabrini Green. Um, I think like two thirds of the people who lived in Cabrini Green were kids because it was mostly single mothers who lived in the projects. Um, and most of them just wanted best for their children. Um, Helen does say, you know, she wants a kid of her own one day trying to connect with that. Um, and then basically Anne Marie says one day I'm going to get out of these projects. Um, I'm not going to have my son grow up to be someone who deals drugs, you know, and loiters in the lobby. And that's all we have there. We meet uh, her dog. Oh, yeah. She's got this big German Shepherd. And, yeah, that's about it. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we got that right there. Um, I I, I do like how you brought up the point of just, like, Helen's intentions and how she is... (sighs) She definitely takes on a little bit more of a researcher role Mm -hmm. in this one. And she doesn't quite... She studies. She studies a lot of things here. Yeah, she studies the people. She studies the environment. She studies that, which you know is that's her thesis. But the big critical part that she's missing is she is just not not uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not subtle about it. No. She's not tempted about it. She's just going straight for and diving straight into it. Um, and that does make her a little bit more unlikable because she's not fully comprehending, you know, what her presence here is doing. Yeah, well, she doesn't, she doesn't um, feel like she's, like, treating them like humans. She's, like... And, like... and the, She's treating them like Tesla. Yes. Yeah. She's treating them like, an, you know, they're in a cage somewhere and, you know, 
looking around. Well, and even yeah. even that scene where she kind of connects with her, like with the baby, mm-hmm. I kind of hated that scene because I was like, like it felt to me like she was playing like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll just start on this girl by saying that, like, you know, I want a baby too. Like, yeah, and then it was just like she's trying to say, well, this is my way of her trusting me, so I can get more information out. Yeah, of her like by trying to relate to her, mm-hmm. it felt so schemey. I didn't, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I was like, God damn it, Helen! Like, yeah. stop it. <laughs> <laughs> like just yeah, just be real. Just be real. Yeah, like stop being weird. Like just so, like be mm-hmm. like I don't know, like or just like get the fuck out of there. I don't know. Yep. <laughs> Interview yep. them properly. Yep. So the next scene is they are going to dinner um, with her husband and a few of her husband's colleagues, and Helen basically talks to this guy named Philip and says, "Oh yeah, I'm doing this uh, thesis project on the Candyman." And Philip basically just says, oh, I've already written the essay about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he reveals a little bit more of the Candyman's background and how it was. Um, so basically in the urban legend, how it goes is Candyman was the son of a slave um, who basically became very, very rich because there was an invention that happened and he just became very successful with it. And he grew up, you know, intelligent and comfortable. And he was also a very, very big artist as well. Um but he had an affair with one of the daughters of his clients, and when she became pregnant, the man decided to murder him. Um, cut off his right hand, stripped him nude, and then seared him with honeycomb uh, from a hive of an angry bees, and he was killed by bee stings. Numerous, numerous, numerous bee stings. And he also said this all took place on the site where Cabrini Green now stands. So we get a little background of the legend of the Candyman at that point. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And not much else happens there. There's a couple more awkward scenes between her and her husband. Um, and then she's a little bit more motivated and inspired to go and actually take care and learn more about this Candyman at that point just to show up this guy, Philip. Yeah, he, and he's, he's like an asshole the entire time he talks about it. He's, he, okay. like, he basically is like, oh, you guys, you know, you're doing that paper, you should come to me because I can, like, tell you how wrong you are, basically. Like, mm-hmm. he's, he's yeah. just a dick. Uh, yeah. Um... But the whole point of that scene was we learn about the Candyman's background and how that works. Um, the other thing, too, is this is what most people in the Gold Coast thought of the Cabrini Green projects. Once again, it's they, it, it was study subjects. It was test subjects. Like People were fascinated by it because it was a crazy environment, and no one wanted to step up and improve it in any way. It was just like, here's a thing. We can look about it. We can research it. We can read about it. Wow, that's crazy. But no one wanted to go in and change anything about it. No one wanted to petition the government to, you know, help them out or, you know, improve the facilities or increase police presence or whatever it was it took. I mean, it was a really, really shitty situation. But most people just, they were fascinated by it. And that was it. So, huh. um, yep. So, yeah. That's kind of sad. And that's how we mentioned this earlier, but... um. In the discussion that Bernadette was having with her earlier, they did actually say Candyman five times. I don't mm-hmm. think said that yet, but they did do that at one point. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that happened at one point. They, they said mm-hmm. Candyman, yep. and that occurred. So with all this, Helen decides that she's kind of inspired again to move on over back to Cabrini Green, and she decides to head on back on her own this time. No Bernie. No Bernie at all. Um... So she goes in, she tries to find Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie is not at the apartment, but she does meet a little boy named Jake um, who gives them a little bit more information on this, you know, what's been going on with the murders and everything. Um, Jake is just kind of playing in the hallways. He's his own little kid. 
And he is definitely, definitely scared of Candyman. He says, you're never going to catch him. And then she says, who? The Candyman. Candyman's never going to catch him. Um, so he did that. Then he says that one of the public restrooms outside the high-rise building, um, that's where someone was castrated. Um, and eventually killed based on that. So, of course, Helen, being Helen, decides, hey, could you take me to that bathroom? I want to take a few pictures. That sounds good. <laughs> so she does, um, and he takes her over to the bathroom, and Helen goes inside. There's this really, really, really awful smell in the whole time, um, and she kind of starts gagging as she enters this graffiti, downtrodden bathroom. But what happens is, um, eventually some group of people come on in and Helen says, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just here to take a few pictures. I won't bother you anymore. But of course they stop her and they say, listen, I heard you were looking for Candyman. Well, you found him. And this is when we get the reveal that the Candyman is a moniker, um, that is used by one of the game leaders here at this specification. So we got that right there. And, um, Basically, this guy just beats the shit out of her, um, gives her a big black eye, and just leaves her be. So the very next thing we see is at the police station where he, uh, she is identifying the person who beat her. And they get him, and the detective is very, very satisfied about that. He was like, oh, we've been trying to get this guy for a while now. Thank you so much for letting me uh, identifying who it is. Now we can put him away for good. Um, he was also a suspect of the previous murders as well. So everyone's really, really happy, even though she's just got this brutal black eye, um, mm -hmm. at the moment well, right there. Well, I think we also kind of get that, we kind of get that idea that, like, he was more or less saying, like, before, because it's black on black crime, we didn't really, weren't allowed to do anything about it, but now that there, a white person got involved yep. and got hurt, we can do something about it. Excellent point, yep. kind of sad. Yeah. But, I mean, that's kind of the political commentary that the movie is trying to make because it's, yeah. you know, black on black crime, police, Chicago police don't care about it. But if it's, you know, a pretty white woman gets beat up by um, some, a, a black guy, it's it's a whole big thing. And I'm sure it's going to be in the newspapers everywhere. And, you know, it's a sad reality of it. But that's the way it was at that time. And, you know, in, in <laughs> many ways still is. Um, yeah. So... He leaves, or she leaves, and Jake, the little boy, is at the police station. And what was he doing at the police station? Was he being questioned, or was he just there? Yeah, I think he was because he, he was there when because he was there when the when the attack took place. I think he was being. I think he was yeah. part of a witness. Yeah. So she basically just sits down and says, "Hey, listen, Jake, uh, Candyman, not real. Um, he was just a human who used that name." And Jake just kind of seems disappointed in it, and kind of going back to the. I don't know if that's the statement the movie's trying to make of when Helen said, well, this is, these people make up the Candyman moniker to deal with the reality. And maybe that's his reality being a little bit destroyed at that point. But I don't know. I'm not 100% sure if that's the point the movie's trying to make or that's just Kara Helen's character. Um, but that's that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so then a um, after that, uh, Helen leaves. Mm -hmm. um, and, she go and when she's walking out to her car gets this telepathic um, voice in her head that says, I came for you. Yes. Um, and basically she turns around and Candyman's just kind of standing there mm -hmm. in the uh, parking yeah. lot. Um, and he's, he's saying, like, you know, I, I came for you, you doubted me, and so here I am, mm -hmm. basically. And she kind of seems like she's in a trance at this point, I feel like, because she's not really moving, her eyes are kind of slightly mm -hmm. 
uh, closed, not closed, like on her eye, eyelids are kind of looking heavy on her. Yeah. Um, he basically tells her, like, you know, like, you need to be my victim because, like, I, I am, I am the whispers in the classroom, I'm the writing on the wall, I am that legend, and because you are kind of destroying my legend, you become my victim to bring me back, basically. It's very much a wizard peel back the curtain, the Wizard of Oz sort of thing. He wants that curtain to stay, and she's peeling it back, so... Mm-hmm. He's well, it, it's very Freddy Krueger. It's very like without the fear of me, without this belief in me, I am powerless. Yes, which I like. It's um, like we were talking about earlier to, in this episode. It's not he. He doesn't get his powers from any one mystical event. It's just the fear of him is what keeps him going. He wants to keep that legend alive. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So then she kind of passes out, um, and she wakes up covered in blood um, in a bathroom and you kind of hear like screaming mm-hmm. so she gets up and finds the oh kind of opens the door of the bathroom and finds the head of a dog mm-hmm. Anne marie's dog um before she finds Anne marie though like helen has no idea what's going on so she kind of bends down to pick up a meat cleaver to defend herself because she has no idea what's around the next corner she doesn't even realize she's in Anne marie's apar- apartments so she does and then she comes in and of course Anne marie assumes that Helen killed her dog and kidnapped her son. Um, so she rushes at her, attacking her, and Anne-Marie and her get into a little scuffle. And uh, Helen strikes her with a meat cleaver, and it wounds her shoulder. doesn't kill her, but the police come in just as she attacked herself in self-defense, and they immediately assume that she did it. So... Mm-hmm. They head on back to the hospital. Helen is basically strip-searched by this very, very rude policeman who's just, or policewoman who is not even getting close to her. And she's trying to plead with her and say, listen, I'm so sorry. I have no idea what's happening here. I'm I, I just, I'm, I'm a student at U of I, blah, blah, blah. Um, talk to Detective Valentino. He'll be able to tell exactly what's going on. I was the guy who put the, uh, you know, Candyman game leader away. But no, they, she's having none of it. Um, it's very humiliating, very scary. Um, this scene was really just horrifying for me, honestly. Yeah. And I think it was mostly the dead dog, because I hate seeing dead dog. But uh, yeah, just no one believes her, and she's thrust into this immediate terrible situation. So, mm-hmm. yep. So she does take her phone call to Trevor, um, and Trevor's not home, even though it's 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. So she's assuming he's out somewhere with uh, another lover. Mm. Um, as she leaves, uh, well, the next day he does come, and they leave together, and there's a whole bunch of reporters outside, news cameras. This is a whole big thing that's happening. So she's tries to hide her face. Um, but they do release her. They don't hold her um, in prison in jail any longer because they think the child is not dead just yet, and the child's body might turn up, and then... Well, they think the child is dead, but they're waiting until the child does come on up. Um, and once the child's body does come up, they're going to charge her with murder. Um, lawyer says it's unlikely to stick, but we'll see about that. Helen is kind of feeling good about this, but, I mean, at the same time, she's really just crazy about it. <laughs> and she's really... It's a whole past 12 hours have been nuts to her, and she's still kind of figuring it all out. So... This is another point where she questions and says, where were you at 3 a.m. last night, Trevor? And Trevor says, well, you know, I was sleeping, obviously. But (laughs) that's not true. Mm -hmm. So the next day she's at her apartment, 
and she decides, you know what, I'm going to look through the slides of the pictures I took because I can't really leave. And she notices in one slide, um, she's taking a picture of a mirror, and in her own reflection, she's able to see the Candyman standing right beside her, even though, obviously, he wasn't there when she took the shot. And she uses, like, magic powers to somehow enhance and zoom in on a yes. slide projector. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, like, CSI, like, enhance, enhance, I, I, Yeah, enhance. I, I just kept thinking about that scene from um, Dude Bro Party Massacre. Oh, yeah. Like, enhance, damn it, enhance! Because she zooms in on this picture into a very small image, and it comes up perfectly clear. Yep. It's insane. It's great. I, um, yeah. So I got that, and then as she is looking through this picture, and she's realizing, oh, shit, the Candyman was there the whole time, bam, he pops up right behind her in her apartment. Um, and he emerges right from her medicine chest, just like the murders earlier. Um, and then he just kind of pops up everywhere. He goes back and forth between different rooms. She has no idea where he's coming from or where he's going. Um, and then he talks to her again. And basically he has this fascination with her, saying that she belongs to him and she will be immortal if she surrenders to him. She's once again in that trance-like state. Um, and we kind of get the impression that Candyman has some sort of supernatural powers over her to put her in that trance-like state. But Bernie kind of comes in, snaps her out of it, and she is screaming at this point, Bernie, don't come in. Don't come in at all. Because he, he hits her, doesn't he? Doesn't he hit her with the hook so she's bleeding on the ground, kind of? Yeah, that is one point, too. Candyman does hit her, um, and then she falls down onto the kitchen, and she's got a bleeding all over, too. So Helen screams, tries to warn her, but Bernie comes on in with the flowers and is immediately just off-screen killed by the Candyman. Mm-hmm. And Helen wakes up one more time. Yep. And this time she's on the floor with a knife in her hand. Mm-hmm. And I think, is that, does her husband come in and find her? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, her husband comes and finds her and he's like, oh shit. Like... It happened again. Uh, now he was, he's just like, oh no, not again. All right, fine. Mm-hmm. Let's clean this up. <laughs> Well then, yeah. So then, all the cops are there, uh-huh. and she like keeps trying to get her get her husband to be like, hey, you know, he's you know, like, hey, let me talk to my husband. He just doesn't want anything to do with her. Yeah. Um. So, um. And I I do like it because he, um. He like Candyman at one point during this like asks her like while she's kind of flipping out like why would you even want to live? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like you know why would you want to live while you're living like kind of like you're gonna be immortal. He's like I live in people's dreams, but your reality right now is like terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's he's almost just like trying to like push her off the edge kind of oh yeah he's definitely toying with her which like you know i appreciate because it's it's a lot scarier that way when you know a serial killer is actually messing with you rather than just being a force of existence who just wants to murder you as fast as possible so yeah mm -hmm. so then she gets taken to a mental ward and Mm -hmm. is like strapped into a bed um and they're kind of having her observation and when she's strapped to this bed thing uh the candy man appears again but he's kind of like floating above her Mm -hmm. like vampire like yeah um and she starts freaking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, starts like screaming, saying he's here. Yeah, and there are other people in the room at that time, right? No, they all left. Okay. Um, uh-huh. But they're watching her. But so while she's, so she's not freaking out. So then um, the people at the medical facility kind of rush in and sedate her. From that, like, so she gets sedated and passes out. And we get this weird scene of Candyman back in Cabrini Green, like, giving honey to the baby. Mm-hmm. Like, letting it suckle on his finger, basically, giving it honey. Yeah. Which is interesting, because again, like, th- this movie goes back and forth a lot between uh, Candyman as, like, a corporeal figure, like, something that's actually, like, that's, like, not there, versus something that is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you know, kind of hard to tell, like, are there times when she's hallucinating? Or 
or can he teleport? Because mm-hmm. like sometimes he seems like a physical person. It's it's an interesting kind of line. They kind of walk back and forth between this. Yeah, and you don't really ever get a sense of what Candyman is capable of. It seems like he's capable of pretty much everything. So, and he breaks his own rules all the time. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There there really aren't any rules with Candyman. He just kind of does his own thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So that's that. Um, they also check security tapes at this point and basically say, well, Helen, you were screaming for someone, but there was no one in that room. And she actually does take a look at the security tape when Candyman was floating over her and there's nobody in front of her, but she's still there screaming and talking to him. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, too, because they, like, um, so when, when she goes and meets this psychiatrist who shows her those images, mm-hmm. we find out that she'd actually been sedated for a month. <laughs> so she eventually does see a psychiatrist. His name is Dr. Burke. And Dr. Burke basically tells her, hey, listen, I'm on your side. I'm working for your defense. Um, This is, once again, when he tells her that she's been in there for an entire month, which is crazy. And they start talking about the Candyman. Helen decides to, you know, actually say his name five times. And then he appears um, and then kills Dr. Burke just right in the back. And then... I love love that scene. Because, like, she says it and then nothing happens and you kind of just see Dr. Burke kind of cuts to him mm-hmm. and he's just sitting at his, on his at his like desk when we kind of have the frontal view of him and he just kind of jerks yeah and then he, he's kind of like starts like shaking and like almost like looking like he's like, like vomiting or something like that and then you kind of see the Candyman stand up behind him as he's like ripping his mm-hmm. hook up his back it's actually like a really kind of sudden and gruesome death yeah it, you're uh, not expecting it to happen at all it just kind of comes out of nowhere so mm-hmm. yeah but it's also I think it's I think it's one of the better kills in the movie oh definitely that. definitely so he, Candyman, um, releases her restraints and then smashes the glass and jumps out the window. Um, so Helen has an opportunity to escape at the moment, so she takes it. She jumps out of the window and then edges her way along the ledge and goes into another room. And there's a nurse in there. And she ends up knocking that nurse unconscious and steals her uniform and uses that to completely remove herself from the hospital. Did, did you notice, uh, so when she's taking off the nurse's uniform... Mm-hmm. My guess is it's just the weird editing, but at that point in time, she had not pulled off her pants yet, mm-hmm. but her pants all around her ankles hmm. when she's taking off her shirt. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, was she assaulting, like, was she, like, sexually assaulting the guy in the, in the bed? I like, was she, sent, I was she, like, assaulting the, the guy who was, like, tied to the bed? Was that what's going on right now? Like, because it's really weird because this one's pants are already down um, around her ankles, and <laughs> uh-huh. it's kind of, kind of an awkward scene that, that never is addressed. My guess is it's just editing, Yeah, but... It was, it was weird. Yeah. I, I, I did not notice that. Kind of so I'll have to go back and check that out. Okay. All the pants and what's going on there. <laughs> so she goes back to the apartments. And you want to take this one? Uh, sure, yeah. She goes to her apartment, um, you know, hoping to kind of get some, you know, some kind of sanctuary with her husband. Um, but when she gets in there, she kind of finds everything's boxed up. And there's pink paint on the walls. And he finds that his girlfriend... Uh, sorry, her husband's student mm-hmm. is painting the walls. Yep. Um, and she kind of freaks out, and the husband kind of comes in in like a uh, a bathrobe, and then she Helen kind of has a little breakdown at mm-hmm. that point. Yeah. And it's like fuck, like this is terrible. Like, you know, my life's shit right now, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, has like a kind of a tense moment with them where they kind of threaten to call the police, and she's like, and they're also kind of afraid of her, so mm-hmm. they don't quite do it. Um, but she ends up leaving because she's like, fuck this, I'm out. And they do end up calling the police. Uh, but she decides to go back to Green Green. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she's like, fuck this, this is stupid. Um, and she goes into, she goes kind of back through that window, or through that medicine cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um, goes back into the room where the candy was. And ends up finding a hook that she picks up and takes with her. Mm-hmm. Much kind of like the candy man has. 
but also she kind of finds like a it looks like a, is it like a stairwell of boxes almost that she climbs up yeah yeah basically yeah there's, there's like boxes set up almost like a stairwell and she climbs up into the apartment or maybe attic i guess above uh the room where she kind of found the candy earlier deeper and deeper into the lair yep and so yeah so when she's in there she ends up finding this mural on the wall and the mural is uh painted and you kind of see that it's basically the story that was told earlier of the candy man you kind of see uh the Candyman kind of in, in, like, nice clothes and uh, kind of with the, with the daughter. And then you kind of see him getting attacked. You see him getting his arm cut off. You see him being covered in bees. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're kind, of, you know, kind of led to believe that this is the Candyman kind of painting his life. Mm-hmm. Because, as, as I mentioned in the story, he was an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Candyman kind of appears behind her. Right? Yes. Is that what happens? Yeah, he appears behind her. Well, no, again. she finds him asleep first, right? And then she tries to kill him. Oh, yeah, he's, like, laying uh-huh. down, right? Yeah. So, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. she tries to kill him. Then he wakes up um, and just kind of entrances her, mm-hmm. I guess, again. Yeah. Um, and basically carries her to an altar um, and kind of lays her down and tells her to, again, become immortal with him. Yeah, and, you know, he's saying, it, it, it's very Dracula-esque where he's saying, yes, you know, the death um, it will be painful, but it'll also be exquisite and it'll be very, very worth it. And he's basically kind of like this weird shadow machism um where he's basically saying, don't fear death. Yes, it's going to hurt. Yes, it's going to suck. But it'll be worth it in the end. Um, and kind of tempting her with that. And I wonder, too, the infamy she ta- he talks about. Because for a while, I was thinking the infamy was that she would be infamous as the Candyman killer, essentially. Mm-hmm. Killing yeah. people. And that would be the legend. But I wasn't sure he's also like, you know, it would, the death, your death would be infamous. Like, how that would come into play exactly. Mm-hmm. I think they kind of go hand in hand because his death is how he perpetuates his own myth um, and his own urban legend. So people telling the story about how Helen died in this project, that's going to perpetuate, that's going to move around and that's going to give her power as well. So I think they kind of go hand in hand. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he tries to kiss Helen at this point and this is when the bees come in. Oh God, mm-hmm. not the bees. Um, not the bees. So once again, he, um, you know, was killed by bees. And this is where he just kind of comes on in and says bees. And I just, I'm realizing this right now. This is a random assortment of characteristics for Candyman. It really you've, is. You've got the Bloody Mary thing by saying his name in the mirror several times. You've got a Captain Hook for the hand sort of thing. And then you've just got bees because fuck it, why not bees? Um, yeah. And it's all set in an urban inner city projects. And it's just like, okay, this whole mismatch of everything moving around, it's... It's very random. <laughs> I, I kept trying to think about the bees. I'm like, do the bees have any significance in the story? No, really? not really. Besides the fact that that's how he died. Not really. I mean, it's a cool shot, you know, as he opens his mouth and the bees are just kind of swarming out, which yeah. was an actual practical effect. Uh, Tony Todd, um, the um, guy who plays um, Candyman, he basically um, was paid $1,000 every time he got stunned. And he got stunned 23 times in this thing. So he got $23,000 to get stunned a couple times by those bees right there. Which, uh, I would do that. I don't know about you, yeah, but, you know, that's a lot of bees. Worth it. Definitely worth it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely that. Um, so he tries to kiss Helen, and Helen gets stunned as well, and she just kind of faints one more time. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also when she wakes up again and she sees all the paintings again and she realizes that she is basically either the spitting image or the reincarnation of the woman that he loved and lost many, many, many years before. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's wandering around, she's wandering around trying to look at that when she hears the baby's cry and she realizes that there's a big bonfire outside, um, 
that the residents of Cabrini Green intended to burn. Um, and I know they talked about it earlier. Anne Marie said something about a big party bonfire going up. Was that any particular cultural significance? Was that some sort of super something superstition, or was that just they wanted to do a bonfire? Just a bonfire. Yeah, it's the boy Jake. She's just like, hey, what's that? And he's like, ah, we're doing a bonfire later. Okay. Like, oh. Cool. Yeah, because I wasn't one hundred percent sure if that's that. But yeah, um, but what happens is Helen hears um, Anthony the baby's uh, cries from the middle of the bonfire. Um, it's not set on fire just yet, but she basically crawls on inside and tries to rescue him. Um, Jake the boy. No, not him. Sees uh, her going. Yeah, yeah he, he, sees, he sees her kind of crawling around in there, and she has. He still is holding that hook. Uh huh. So he kind of sees the hook like rising up because she kind of used it to pull scraps out of the way to get into the into the bonfires yeah like inside of it mm-hmm. and so he's like oh shit the candy man's here let's go burn his ass yeah so yeah. they light the pyre basically on fire while she's in there mm-hmm. yeah um and as uh she re- does reach the baby eventually and you know she takes the bedding and is trying to get out but then candy man pops up and candy man basically just says listen stay with me we'll be burned alive together and we'll be fueling our own legend. We will be talked about forever. Our dust will be exquisite. Our dust will be um, extraordinary. Um, the entire, basically, everyone in Cabrini Green comes on out to the bonfire, and everyone's kind of standing around it, chanting and cheering as it starts to burn. And she attempts, she frees herself from the Candyman, um, and she starts to slowly crawl out of this burning bonfire. Flaming logs are popping on her back. She has to lift herself up, Batman Begins style, while she's carrying this baby. This is, you know, all things considered a pretty badass thing. Uh-huh. Um, but she does eventually crawl on out of the bonfire with Anthony. Anne-Marie was the fir- is the first one to see him or her and runs on over, takes her baby, and she realizes, oh, this... Helen has saved my baby by risking her own life. Mm-hmm. Um, Helen's completely on fire. They come on yeah. over, they put her out, but it's her it's hair too, is like burned off. Yeah, it's it's some really cool practical effects. Actually, um, she yeah. looks like Darth Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi when he removes his helmet, and uh, she passes away right at the edge of the bonfire. Mm-hmm. The very next scene is the funeral scene from her. Trevor, her husband's uh, world widow now, and um, a few others are the only people that are really popping on up for her. But they look up, and then they realize that everyone in the entire Cabrini-Green complex is marching towards the gravestone. And they all make their way over, and they all give their respects. And Jake has Candyman's hook, which he removed from the fire, and tosses it into her grave. Um just kind of symbolizing all of that right there. Um, mm-hmm. So that is the end of Helen's story. She never finishes her thesis, but there is one more scene left. You want to take that one? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so at the end, um, we kind of cut to um, Trevor, her husband, uh, and he's kind of, he's in the bathroom um, after all this is going down, and you can kind of tell that, like, even though he cheated on his wife and he kind of thought she was crazy, he still feels bad about what happens. Like, mm-hmm. this is kind of a weird thing for me. Like, I oddly felt sympathy for him towards the end because mm-hmm. you could tell that he was like really distraught over the death of his wife yeah i mean there's a big difference between cheating on your wife and your wife suddenly dying in a horrific fire so yeah uh-huh. like he, he was like actually sad about it and like yeah. his and we kind of cut to his girlfriend outside and he like doesn't he's kind of done with her like he's you can tell he's like he doesn't really want to interact with her and mm-hmm. she's you know trying to talk to him and stuff and he's like no like i, I you know i need any time basically um so you gotta see again he's going distant from her um, and he's in there, and while he's in the bathroom, he starts kind of, you know, crying about Helen and 
says her name. He's like, oh, Helen. Like, oh, oh no, Helen. Like, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's having, like, a little depression, sad moment crying mm-hmm. about her. But you notice that he says her name five times. Mm-hmm. So as he looks up, kind of washes his face, you know, washes his tears off, um, we see behind him Helen appear. And it's Helen with the hook in her hand, not, not Candyman's hook, but her kind of little hook that she had, mm-hmm. and her head still all shaved off, and she has a Freddy Krueger kind of, like, burned skin. Yep. Um, and she uh, guts him. Yep, from groin to gullet. Yep, and he is dead. He is dead, dead, dead. Her new legend has just begun. Now she is the Candyman murderer, and um, that's how we're going to go from there. So yeah. that is well, the end if, of Candyman. And if you watch the credits, actually, um, mm-hmm. it zoom, it go, the credits cut back to Cabrini Green and back to that attic, yeah. and back to the murals. Um, and the mural now has changed. There's a new, new mural there, and it's actually one of Helen kind of like mm-hmm. standing there looking like cool cool i did not catch yeah. that part so that's awesome yeah yeah so that is Candyman. um it preys on kind of the fears a lot of people have of the you know impoverished inner city people um but also it is a whole bunch of other stuff as well it preys on urban legends it preys on all sorts of other stuff it's um i enjoyed it i really did yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, and I realized I was thinking for a while about the hook in his mm-hmm. hand because you know that hook story comes out from like the sixties, seventies, or I think sixties, whenever the summer of love happened. Yeah. Basically, because it was kind of response to the idea of birth control, um, and that story of the hook and uh, the two kids not like make out point where the guy kind of comes outside, yeah. and like scratches at their door um, is supposed to be um, kind of a fear of sex and fear of kind of. Uh, a reaction to that kind of movement and the idea of the hook of pregnancy and the hook of like adultery. Um, and I was kind of thinking how that applies to this story. And then I was like, Oh, I guess it's the hook of his legend and mm-hmm. like becoming involved in that, the pressure of the legend. That's what his hook is. Yeah. Which is cool. I, I like that kind of the reinterpretation of the hook as instead of being sexual, being uh, the catching on of a story basically. Mm-hmm. And like the myth, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, that was an interesting uh, take. Yeah, definitely. So um, have you, have you seen any of the sequels? I have not seen any of the sequels. Have you? Uh, there are two of them. Okay. Um, and How I are they? tried to watch the first one. <laughs> um, it's interesting. Um, like Tony Todd's back, so no Heather or uh-huh. Helen. I don't know. What, I guess it's not a continuation of the story. It, uh, the guy who told the story of Candyman is back. He's the one who writes the book. Um, and it basically, it follows I, what I'm assuming, what I think is, I think it follows a girl who is a descendant of the family uh, that killed Candyman is what mm-hmm. it, it seems like. So they go down to a plantation and stuff. It was pretty bad. Like, Candyman appears. He actually talks in this one. Like instead of because generally the Candyman uh, in the film you kind of hear his voice, but his mouth isn't moving. Yeah. But in this thing, he just kind of walks up and talks, and it's mm-hmm. it's actually it's really weird how offsetting like or how much of like a letdown it is when he talks, and mm-hmm. it's, it's not this thing. Like obviously lower budget, um, and it was bad. Like, I got I don't know. It was. I turned it off halfway through. I couldn't get. I, I usually love watching these kind of syndicated movies, like the movies that the series, but I, I couldn't do it. It was bad. Yeah. Um, but there's another one after that too, so maybe that one's better. Who knows? Okay. Um, but yeah. yeah. Worth checking out. So that's that. And then speaking of sequels too, uh, Jordan Peele is going to produce a sequel, and they're going all Halloween style, where they're going to ignore all the other non-canonical sequels, and they're going to go through with a new one. Um, so it was going back and forth for a while. Currently, it's scheduled for release in 2020. Um, going back and forth between whether Tony Todd is going to reprise his role or not. And as of this podcast recording on August 12, 2019, he is going to return. 
So we'll see. That's about that. And I believe one of the big things that they're going to focus on is trying to figure out how social media affects the um, urban legend spread and a little bit of fake news and a little bit of how that works right there. Um, but it's going to take place in the new gentrified Cabrini Green um, where they once stood and dealing with how that works. So Wait, is there, I thought, I thought like now, isn't there like a shopping center there now or something like that? Yes. Mm-hmm. So okay, it's, it's, it's completely good. it's completely gentrified at this point. There's aside from a few buildings where there's still a lot of gain activity, um, it's it's completely changed. It's completely done. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep, yep. So that's how it is right there. And Jordan Peele's going to do that. And then coming from his track record of uh, Us and Get Out, I'm very excited to see where that's going to go. So, yeah, I, 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 I do like that in modernizing it. I feel like making a I wouldn't want to see just a regular remake, especially given mm-hmm. that this movie I don't think really needs it. Like, yeah. So I like that it's like a sequel. I think that will be fun and interesting. Like, and I think especially because like to, today's climate is uh, there's a lot of different avenues to explore. So I'm curious. I, I hope that the media thing, the internet media, isn't crazy heavy in it because I feel mm-hmm. like that always dates movies and makes them really bad. Yeah. Like I feel like any movie like oh the internet we'll, we'll play that like I feel like it, it it should be a part of it of perpetuating the myth, but it shouldn't be like huge definitely i don't know i don't i don't want to see like memes mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah all the memes going around all the time that's the scariest thing of all so yeah all right cool so Candyman, definitely if you're looking for an urban legend slash pirate slash nicholas cage oh go not not the bees slash freddy krueger sort of horror movie i would definitely recommend it um especially if you're familiar with chicago and you're familiar with the projects it's they do a great job with the backdrop of cabrini green and um the environment itself is almost a character on its own it's good stuff so would definitely recommend it yeah it's it's a really amazing movie i think everyone should probably see it at some point all right sounds good all right well thank you so much for listening to primitive screwheads talk about horror movies andrew any closing thoughts uh no Sweet. So once again, thank you to our band Teddy's Atlas for the use of our theme song Horror Movie Story. You can get that off the album Children of the Corn. They're still touring Canada right now, as far as I know. So they're good Canadian boys. Keep it up. And Andrew, what do we have next on the pipeline? Uh, next, we're going to do the, since it's been about a year, we're going to do the film uh, The Predator. Ooh. The Shane Black movie from 2018 was the last year. Now, just to spoil, mm-hmm. you really, really love it, right? Oh, it's, it's it's uh, it's a movie. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> so good. Uh, you know, it, it's a nice you know it's a nice compliment to last we did a we recently recently released our uh, held off episode of Alien Covenant. So this is yep. I think a nice compliment, compliment to, to it. That. Alien yeah. Predator sounds yeah. good. Man, those two should fight. I uh, know, right? Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that be a, I thought that'd be a great idea for a movie and possibly a sequel. You know what but, they should do what? is they should make a movie. Mm-hmm. But instead of focusing on the fights between the alien and the predator, we should just add a whole bunch of human characters, and then we should just concentrate on them the whole time. I, I like that idea. I think like I think they're like maybe like Transformers could also do that. I think that'd be like a way to make it more interesting. That would be cool too. And then they can make a sequel, and then just completely fuck up the lighting, where just you can't see anything whatsoever. That would be an amazing idea too. That that would be that would be really good. I would I would I would really enjoy that. I would I really think. enjoy that, and I would really want. I mean, I'm assuming that's going to get like a amazing score on Rotten Tomatoes too. So, and uh, you know, I'm assuming it's going to probably have more than just one sequel, right? With those yeah. such great films. Oh, definitely, definitely, probably some good places. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you so much for listening, and we will chat with you later. Bye.